Ooh, I love, love that song, The Reckless Love of God. Today we're going to talk about how we are blessed to celebrate that together. Uh, I, I must confess to you, though, I'm in better shape than I was at the 8.30 service. When our brother Nathan Capps got up to welcome him by the 8.30 service, he didn't give much explanation. All he announced was, our coffee maker is dead. And, and I thought our brother Ed Starkey had passed away. <laughs> I got to his wife. I said, Tricia, how's Ed? And she said, he's gone home. <laughs> that didn't help me much either. So I'm, I'm glad to celebrate today that Ed Starkey is alive, right? No, no doubt, no doubt. Guys, this morning, there's so much to celebrate around here, so many great things going on. Two weeks ago, we had Serve Together Sunday, and that's our day to sign up for ministry and giving for the, for the next year. And uh, we've been setting a percentage goal. Our goal is 75%. We got up to 55% so far. And so right now, if you have not filled out a Serve Together form, please raise your hand. There'll be people bring, don't be shy, go ahead and raise it. We need everybody's, or I'm going to have to bug you every Sunday about this. So please raise your hand. Keep it up till somebody gets to you. They're coming around the audience. Fill those out. Turn those in today. And we're going to know how to use you in the year 2024. On top of that, we've just finished our first marriage enrichment group. One of our great goals as a church is to be a place where marriages are built stronger. And so we just finished a group led by Charlie Gibbons and Gloria and Al and Candy Crosby. It's been great. Al and Candy are here with us today. Could you give them a hand for leading that? And for any of you thinking about that, we will have two groups starting in January. It's an eight-week group. It'll be a great, great blessing. So speaking of celebration, today we are going to celebrate the best meal in the world. Now, maybe you're thinking about tonight and our Thanksgiving feast over in the Life Center, and you know when the bed goods cook, it is going to be awesome. But that's not the best meal in the world. Maybe you're visit, visualizing one of your favorite restaurants and a great steak or a great place for good seafood. I know this is bad things to talk about at the 11 o'clock service. But you're visualizing something just amazing. Or maybe it's an Italian pasta dish you really get into. You say, that's the best. And today I would say, here's the meal I'm talking about. That's pretty pitiful, isn't it? I mean, it just really doesn't look like much. I'm going to tell you in the next couple of weeks, we're going back to real communion emblems, okay? Now, if you still want styrofoam, it will be available, all right? But... Here's what I'm saying is, though this may not look like much, if you will understand what God's going to teach us through his word today, you will know that these emblems represent the most amazing meal in all the world, will far surpass anything else you've ever eaten. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your Bible, your phone, go to 1 Corinthians 11, because this is the most exhaustive teaching about the Lord's Supper that we can find. Now, now normally when we have a really great teaching about something, it's because somebody's messed it up. And this is one of those scenes where the church at Corinth had really, really, really messed up communion, okay? And so Paul is going to use some really stern language just buckle up for a moment. Let me use a little bit of it on you. First of all, in 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, 17, he says, 
In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. First thing Paul says is your Lord's suppers are, are killing me. They, they're, they're doing more harm than good. You're worse off after you went to church than when you came. Now, buckle up even further just to see how serious Paul said the consequences of taking this lightly are. Look at verse 29 and 30. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why some of among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep is just a nice Bible word to say the coffee maker's dead, okay? Well, he's just saying it, 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 this has been so serious that some of you have gotten spiritually sick because of this, and you need to pay close attention. So I'm, I'm challenging you today, pay close attention. If you could, I think taking notes will prepare you for the rest of our service together. I want you to do this right because I don't want you to die on me, okay? So let's go and let Paul explain what's going on. What could be so crazy that Paul would have to use words like this? Go back to verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, here's my problem. It's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suffers. As a result, one person remains hungry, another, catch this, gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat in and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? He's baffled. What shall I say? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this manner. You say, wow, that sounds crazy. Let me try to explain to you as best I can what's going on here. When communion was first introduced by Jesus, it was in the middle of the Passover meal. It was right in the middle of the meal. And when the early church started, they replicated that. And so the early church, the Apostle Peter talks about the love feast. They would meet together and have a great feast. In the middle of that, they would remember the body and blood of Jesus. It was a beautiful thing. It'd be like if tonight, in the middle of our meal, we stopped, think it'd be absolutely biblical, and remembered what Jesus had done for us. But here's the problem. This church has got some divisions we know from reading the whole book. And it seems the rich people are getting there first. You, you see, Sunday was not an off day in that day at all. And so church services were at night. And, and, and so probably the wealthy people were able to get off work earlier, and the poor people probably came a little later. And it's a, it started off as just this big love feast potluck. But by the time Paul's writing, they're brown bagging it. And the rich people are coming from firebirds with a great layout of food. And the poor people who get there either have nothing or maybe they've got one little crystal in that pitiful. And so these guys have already eaten. 
The other people are just coming. They're left out. And to make it even worse, some of these guys are using real communion wine, and they're getting drunk. We think we have problems in church today. I mean, this is an absolute fiasco. And that's why Paul is so upset about it. He said, I, this, here, here's the point you need to get this morning. The church's greatest symbol of unity had become an expression of division. You see, guys, what should unify us more than anything else? Not that we believe everything the same. Not that we all act the same. Not that we all have the same political party. Not that we have the same kind of family. What should unite us is what Paul would say uh, later on in this book, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And communion was that time for us to come together and to remember what was really, really important. Now listen to a couple things the cross was supposed to do. Just look at Ephesians 2 with me for a moment. For he himself, that's Jesus, is our peace, who's made the two groups. I mean, that was Jew and Gentile. Anybody watching the news about what's going on in Palestine today? It was just as bad in Jesus' day. And he said the gospel had the power to even break down those barriers. The two groups have and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And he says, in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Here's why Paul's really upset. It's the cross of Jesus that says everybody's on level ground. It's the death of Jesus that brings us together into a common family that says all of these different backgrounds don't matter. And yet they're showing up to church and they're dividing along the same old lines. Can you imagine if we had church and we had one side say, you know, you know if your income's this high, sit over here. If your income's this low, sit over here. Or if we went back to some of the worst of our past as a, a nation, we said, okay, white folks, you, show, you sit up front. Black folks, we're glad you're here, but we want you in the back. That's what's going on in this church. And Paul says what you are doing is contradicting the gospel. I can remember as a kid, I had a black friend, and uh, my preacher was preaching a gospel meeting down about 40 miles from here in South Alabama. So one night, all of us loaded in a car, and we went down there, and we walked in there, and I'm just sort of sitting there waiting on church to start, and I don't see my friend. So I go outside, and I said, Joe, what's going on? He was standing there with a group of older white men. He said, well, I came outside, and I asked them in the foyer where the restroom was, and they said I couldn't use it. And then I said, why not? And then they took me out to the lawn and said, because you're not welcome in this church. Listen, my friends, the sign out front said gospel meeting, but there was no gospel meeting in this church. That's not the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus is he brings people together, and that's what's going on here. So what's the solution? He says, you guys need to remember what this is all about. So now this is not going to be on the screens. I'd love you to open your Bible or your, or your phone and read with me starting in verse 23, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And here's what Paul does. He says, okay, guys, you have royally messed this thing up. Let's go back to when it first started. Now, this is something so cool to me. Do you recognize the book of 1 Corinthians is the first book written in your Bible, not the Gospels? 
And if you're looking on your Bible like I am, you're going to see red letters in this passage. This is so cool. This is the first time the words of Jesus were ever recorded. And it has to do with communion. So read with me, verse 23. For I received, Paul says, from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. He said, guys, I'm giving you two symbolic things. Here's this bread that symbolizes my body. Here's this cup that symbolizes my blood. But even more than my blood, it's the new covenant. What's the big deal? The old covenant was a law system that said, you're okay with God if you keep all the laws. The new covenant is a grace system that says, you're okay because of the blood of Jesus. In this same way, after supper, then he took this cup, the new covenant, in his blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Then he gets serious. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. What are you saying, Paul? I want to answer just a few questions about communion real quickly. First of all, who should take the Lord's Supper? Okay? Now, let's make the first point, not perfect people, okay? If that's true, none of us could take it. And we really get tripped up on that word in the passage, unworthy. Because when I read it, I think, oh my goodness, am I worthy? How many times have I screwed up this week? What have I said? What have I done? What have I thought? He did not say anything about your character being unworthy. The word he said, put it with the next word. An unworthy manner. What he's saying is, if you don't take this seriously, if you make a joke of this and you cut the lights off and you don't, excuse me, I don't know what, if you do this and you don't actually think about what's going on, he said, that's when the problem is going to be. It's an unworthy manner. So who should take the Lord's Supper? Let me be as clear as I know how to be. Followers of Jesus Christ. There's no place in the New Testament where anybody who's not a disciple of Jesus takes the Lord's Supper. Why? Because, guys, did you hear him say over and over, brothers and sisters in Christ? Guys, what we're about to do in just a few minutes, it's a family meal. It means I have been born into the family. Guys, again, this is a big, ooh, wow, good. This is a, a, the big difference, and then there was light. And this is a big difference between the Old Covenant and New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, guys, you didn't become a Jew by some kind of conversion experience. You were born into the Jewish family. In the New Covenant, Hebrews 8 says that's not the way you come in. You're not born into it. You're born again into it. As an adult or as a person who has enough 
reasoning to make a decision, you have decided to be a part of the family. So I'm saying to you, what we take in a moment is for families. It is for, it's for people who are following Jesus. Now, if you're here today and you've not made your mind up about Jesus, thank God you're here. And, and we're not going to go snatch it from you if you try to partake of this. That's not what we ought to do. But what we would like is for this to proclaim to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you're not a follower, you go, my goodness, I want to enjoy the blessings they're enjoying. Now, let me just address another sidelight. This is Buddy's opinion, okay? There's a lot of people today who say, when I take communion, I'm going to take communion with my little children. Even before they've surrendered their life to Jesus and come to Christ, I'm going to share that I've got some good friends who do that, not trying to be condemning here. But it's my personal opinion that this is a meal for people that are within the family of God. You're not born into a family. You don't don't become a Christian by inheritance. You become a Christian by conversion. And so who's communion for? It's for people who are following Jesus. No, I didn't say perfectly following Jesus, but following you. Number two, where should we take it? Four times in this chapter, he says, when we come together. The biblical example of communion is communion is to be taken in the gathering of the church. Now, there's something a little bit confusing to some of us in verse 29. He says, you're in trouble when you don't discern the body. Now, there's two different meanings I could carry. It could carry discern the body of Jesus as in Jesus. It could mean discern the body of Christ. This is what I think it means as in the body of Christ because that's their problem. They're coming in selfishly, not thinking about the whole body of Christ. And so when do we take it? We take it when we come together. Listen, my friends, communion is not a private affair. Never has been in the Bible. So that answers that question. So when should we take the Lord's Supper? Well, let's look at that just for a moment. Did you notice what he said in verse 17? Whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I cannot think of any occasion at any time where God's people come together where it wouldn't be appropriate to take the Lord's Supper. You know, we as a church have been criticized because most Good Fridays we take communion together. Well, guys, let me show you a verse that will just blow that away. Acts 2, verse 42. Here's the first church. Thousands of people become Christians. They're all still in Jerusalem. And this is the closest we'll ever get to what their worship looked like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. If you read closely there, they broke bread daily. At the inception of the church, they're all together. They're so excited. They want to remember the most important thing about Christianity, and they're partaking daily. Now, as we get later in the book of Acts, there seems to be an example that the church has landed on taking communion on the first day of the week. Paul's going to preach to Troas. He's trying to figure out what's a good time for him to get the church together. Listen to what he says in Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. 
So it, it seems that the church, again, this is not a command, so I can't be dogmatic about it. It seems the church has come to a place where they meet every first day of the week. Well, why didn't they choose the old Sabbath day? Because Jesus resurrected on the first day of the week. And when they came together, Paul knew their practice to be was to take the Lord's Supper together. And so my belief is, at a minimum, we should be taking communion weekly. I admit this is not a command. Like I said, it's an example. And examples can be a little bit difficult. You probably think so because there's also an example here of the preacher preaching at midnight, which I think is an awesome example. Let's try it, all right? But there's an example. This is what they did. And you keep reading through the New Testament. It seems like the resurrection day has become the most important day to them. It's the day of Christian worship. And it seems, just reading between the lines, they are taking communion weekly. Now, I know there are some people that object to this. Some churches take communion quarterly. Some take it yearly. And the objection is and that it can become too routine when you take it weekly. You ever heard that? And I understand that. There is a temptation for it to become routine. Because we do things every day that could become routine. If you read your Bible with your children every day, if you're not careful, it could become routine. We could make the same argument about everything we've done in this service. So I could say, Jeremy, the singing thing, man, it's just become way too routine. We're cutting you back, guys back to quarterly. Are, are you, he's just laughing like it couldn't happen. Okay. <laughs> and he's going to look at me and say, buddy, I'm getting so tired of your preaching every Sunday. Why don't we cut that back to once a year? Guys, we would take no other part of our worship gathering. No one's going to say, let's only pray every six months. Let's only preach every quarter. We wouldn't do that. Now, guys, just, just stay with me. I'm not trying to offend anybody here. The thing we should least be willing to give up is communion, if you ask me. Because when you read the New Testament, that was the most important part of what they did. Of all things to cut, don't cut that. Because it reminds us of who we are and where we stand and everything Jesus has done for us. Now, this is pretty fascinating. This is part of, I think, the great tradition we have among churches of Christ is weekly communion. We're not the only folks to do that. And we do have some really great traditions. Now, just to be real honest with you, we've got some things in our past that I'm ashamed of, okay? So I'm not trying to say we've got it all together. Just like in whatever your religious background is, you probably come with some things I didn't get. And maybe I come with some things you didn't get. And so that's what I love about being a part of a diverse church is that we get to learn together. And I'm being honest, I think this is something that we could teach. I've been reading a lot of books, a lot of commentaries last couple weeks about these verses. Almost every commentator admits that the early church took communion weekly. I actually the other day was listening to a sermon, one of my favorite preachers. He's from a community church, not here in Montgomery, so don't try to guess. And he was preaching on communion, so I wanted to listen to it. It was a really, really good lesson. And by the end of the lesson, it was obvious he had pretty much come to the conclusion that they needed to start taking communion weekly. But I got a little tickled by what he said. I don't think he even realized what he said. He said, I, I think this is what the Bible teaches. And then he said this, we're going to try real hard to do it every week. We're going to try hard. 
Maybe, you know, some Sundays we probably can't fit it in. Can't fit it in. And guys, I would say to you, this weekly communion is a beautiful thing from God. Now, I want to talk to someone that this is, this is fairly new to. So I want to call Amy Glenn up to the stage with me for just a moment. I don't know if you've gotten to know Amy, but she is really, really special. She's teaching a ladies' um, Bible study for us on Mondays that's just getting rave reviews. And um, you know, just like I was saying a moment earlier, uh, I love that she's teaching us some things about spiritual warfare that some of us never learned. But here's what we'll go back to. First of all, Amy, can you tell how or who got you to Landmark? Yes. Uh, so about a year ago, um, I was introduced to a little over a year ago to Greg Glenn. And um, I was living in Auburn, and I had been a widow for about 12 years. And Greg had been a widower for about five years, and some mutual friends introduced us. And we started dating and got married, and I moved to Montgomery, and that's how I got to Landmark. Can you tell me how long y'all dated? Four months. Four months, okay. Just, <laughs> just want to lay that on the table. Not recommending that, but um, for, them, for them, it's been awesome. So, Amy, here's really why I want you up here. What does communion mean to you? Coming from your background and your knowledge, what does communion mean to you? To me, communion is a beautiful reminder of Jesus' love for me. Um, that he willingly allowed his body to be broken and his blood spilled for me and for us. Um, I think communion is a, um, an opportunity for us to not only remember his incredible love, but also to receive all the benefits of the cross. And um, so I see communion as an opportunity to remember and receive. I love the way you put that. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But I think the receive part is part many of us missed out on mm. because it is a feeling. It is a meal. It is a supper mm. that we receive. So thank you for saying that. But here's the question I also wanted to ask you is you're new to this fellowship and you don't come from a fellowship that took communion every week. Um, how has that become important to you? Mm -hmm. I love the uh, weekly communion because it is an opportunity for me to really practice gratitude. Um, I, um, I don't ever want to lose the wonder of the magnitude of what Jesus did on the cross. And so by when I eat the bread representing his body that was broken, or when I drink the cup representing his blood that was spilled, I am reminded of his power and authority over sin and death. Um, when I eat the cup, uh, drink the cup and eat the bread, then I'm proclaiming that same power and authority in my life. And um, by just submitting to his authority, um, I believe that that's why he died on the cross, so that we could walk in that freedom. And so, um, you know, Revelation twelve eleven says that we've overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And um, just the power of the blood of Jesus then enables me to then walk in the freedom that he died to give me. So because of the cross, I don't have to walk in fear. I can walk in peace. Or because of the cross, I don't have to walk in shame. I can walk in joy. Um, because of the cross, the battle is won. So to me, it is um, just an incredible opportunity to not only um, remember what he's done, but also why he did it. Wow. 
Beautiful word. Stephanie, will you throw me a pen real quick? I got to write one of these things down. <laughs> oh, this line, this line you said was incredible. I don't want to lose the, the wonder. The wonder. Wow. That's strong. Mm. And that's what we're doing. So it's somebody new to this. How do you not lose the wonder doing it every Sunday? I think it's just, I think everything's a heart issue. And so just keeping our, our hearts just so postured um, in, in just a way to just always practice that gratitude of what he's done. Because it is the magnitude of, of what he's done and his incredible love. I think you're hitting on exactly what the Apostle Paul was saying here. We'll talk about this. To examine yourself, he really says you examine before you come. Mm-hmm. You prepare yes. your heart. Yes. Did you guys thank Amy for sharing with us today? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was beautiful. Thank you. All right. I don't want to lose the wonder. Mm, that's beautiful. So let's just answer one more question, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together in just a moment. So why should we take the Lord's Supper? Let me just give you a few words, and this might guide you even in your thoughts over the next few moments. First of all, it is to remember. God's people have always gotten in trouble when they forget. That's why if you read the book of Deuteronomy, it's just like every couple verses. Don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget. I was reading 2 Peter this week, and Peter says, guys, I'm not writing you anything new. I'm simply writing someone something to remind you. And then over and over the book, he says, remember this, remember this, remember this. In fact, he says the people who got in trouble in the flood and the people who get in trouble today, Peter says, are the people who forget. And so, guys, this is the perfect time for us to stop and to remember what Jesus has done for us. Now, this is not some sad, morbid time. I used to think, okay, communion is a time where I got to go back and remember how gruesome the cross was. This comes from a, a, a bad theological mistake in the middle centuries. Communion, we've been saying all day, is the Lord's what? You guys hear? The Lord's what? Table. Say it with me. Lord's table. Okay. That word's significant. Communion is not the Lord's altar. The altar was the place where they gave the sacrifice. The table was the place where they ate the sacrifice and celebrated what he had done. So as you remember, it's not just going, oh, I remember Jesus dying. It's remembering the benefits that you're partaking of. Next word would be reflect. Examine yourself. This isn't a downer. This is something that leads you to appreciate the grace of God. The next word would be renew. You see, what what Paul's saying here is this is a time of renewal. You renew your relationship with God. And and guys, we got to get broader than that. It's not that bubble. You renew your relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we even renew our sense of mission. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Listen to me. The best sermon preached in this building today will be after I pray in a moment. You're proclaiming the Lord's death. And then a couple more things. It's a place to receive. And let me show you this passage. 1 Corinthians 10, right before chapter 11, he says some important things. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving? Why not you hold on to that term? Cup of thanksgiving. For which we give thanks are participating in the blood of Christ. And it is not the bread that we break for participation in the body of Christ. 
because of this one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Finally, it's a time to receive. He's saying you're receiving this meal, this supper. Oh, it doesn't look like much, but when you understand what it means, it will fill you like no other meal. I mean, Jesus freaked some people out one day when he said, you know what, guys? I want you to eat my body and drink my blood. They thought he was being a cannibal or something. And there are some Christian people who have taken that literally to say, whenever you take this, when it comes into your body, it literally becomes the body and blood of Jesus. I don't agree with that because when Jesus said that, they're standing there and there's his body and there's his blood separate. But on the other hand, I think many of us have, flung, have so swung from that position that we don't look this as a place of special communion with God. We don't understand that, yes, this is a time I receive. Yes, this is a time where the presence of God is so real to me. I eat of his body and I drink of his blood and it goes down within me. It's a time to receive. And then finally, it's a time to rejoice. And this is what I missed in my life for a long time. No, Paul says this is not a flippant time. Paul would say, no, this is not a casual time. But I think Paul would also say this is not a sad time. Why? Because we're at the table. We're feasting on his forgiveness. That's why Paul says, this is a Thanksgiving table. That's what I love so much about us talking about this week. Because most of us know what's coming up Thursday. That's going to be an awesome place. And what God says to you is, I want you to visualize an incredible Thanksgiving table times 100. And when you're sitting around that table and you're enjoying the people you love, catch it you're also looking across this table and your eyes are meeting Jesus' eyes. He is the host at the table. So guys, this is not time for us to be sad. It's a time for us to reflect. It's time for us to be serious. It's also a time for us to rejoice. And that's why in our church, we always sing during communion because we want it to be a time for you just out of the overflow of your heart to express your love I'm telling you, this will be the best meal you ever partake in. What other meal symbolizes that you are free from the penalty of death? What other meal do you so practically and vividly receive the love of Christ way into you? What other meal, knowing what God has done for you, should bring you such joy? What other meal should you be able to take in a room with as many people as this and know there are no divisions in Jesus? What other meal is it that Jesus will literally sit at the table with you? What other meal you will ever take will remind you of the good news of Jesus? And what other meal will promise you that one day you'll sit at the banquet table forever with God? There is no other meal. Let's pray together. God, we're so thankful to be together. God, I thank you that that church at Corinth messed up enough that Paul had to write some things to correct it and to really teach us what this is all about. And so, Lord, as we come in this time of communion, as we contemplate for a moment, 
as we look inside our hearts, as we remember not only what Jesus did for us, but what he has given us, as we just come with open hands just to receive everything you want for us. Father, help us to celebrate together. Father, whether we need to sit by ourselves and just contemplate or whether we need to get up and go hug somebody, whether we just need to praise you at the top of our voices or just pray through the whole time, God, would you be with us in a special way? Forgive me, forgive us when we forget the importance of this moment. Restored in our hearts today. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, we've got tables around the room if you want to get communion, want to pray with somebody, interact with somebody, want to just go back to your pew. Certainly that's all acceptable. But here's what we're about to do, guys. We're about to sing for about 14 minutes straight. Um, These are going to be some incredible praise songs. And through this 14 minutes, I'd like you to, to remember the things we've talked about and make this, even this week, the best meal of your week. Let's stand together and sing. No, no, stay seated for a moment. Stay seated. Let's just contemplate for a moment.